0: again, everybody. This is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 142. And today we're talking about electroconvulsive therapy. Before we dive into that fascinating topic, let's take a quick moment to do a listener shout out to Mandy Lynn, who writes... This podcast and Nurse Mo are wonderful. I start nursing school in January and this podcast is really helping me prepare. I'm very excited and nervous, but Nurse Mo is helping me feel ready to take on this challenge. I also have Nurse Mo's planner and it is wonderful. I will definitely be ordering another one when I finish this one. Thank you for all you do. Mandy, thank you so much for taking the time to write that review. I'm super excited about you starting school soon. And I hope that the podcast and the planner help you with everything and all of your goals. So if you're wondering what planner Mandy is talking about, I will link to that in the show notes. It's available on Etsy. And it's a planner I designed just for nursing students. It's absolutely fabulous if I do say so myself. But of course, I am a little bit biased. So let's dive into electroconvulsive therapy. So this is a treatment that is used for depression and other conditions, including bipolar disorder. Unfortunately, it's shrouded in a lot of suspicion and is one of the most stigmatized therapies that we currently have in use for mental health conditions. The truth is, ECT has shown to have profound effects on depression treatment, and some studies even suggest that it should be considered First line therapy right now, it's typically third line therapy after psychopharmacology and therapy have not produced the results that are wanted. But some studies are saying maybe we could look at this a little more closely as first line therapy. And again, though it's mainly used for depression, a lot for bipolar disorder, it can be used and has shown efficacy in things like schizophrenia and even catatonia. So why so much stigma around ECT? And a lot of authors blame it on how it was employed in its early use. So early ECT modalities involved really high doses of electricity given without any anesthesia. So that's kind of barbaric, which resulted in substantial memory loss for the patient and even caused bone fractures and other detrimental side effects. So today, ECT has shown to produce significant improvement in depressive symptoms in approximately 80% of patients in a much safer way. So let's talk about it a little bit more. What exactly is electroconvulsive therapy? So electroconvulsive therapy is a medical procedure that involves the stimulation of electrodes applied to the patient's skull, and this stimulation produces is a medically induced generalized seizure that is conducted under anesthesia with muscle relaxation on board to prevent injury. So while its exact mechanism of action remains unclear, we do know that ECT increases the release of neurotransmitters, namely dopamine serotonin, and norepinephrine. It is also thought that ECT causes the release of endorphins, prolactin, and other hormones that are imbalanced in cases of depression. So let's look at kind of what happens before, during, and after ECT treatment. So prior to the procedure, one of the things that the anesthesiologist and the psychiatrist will assess for is the use of medications that can interfere with the goals of therapy. So sometimes it's herbal remedies that can interfere with this like ginseng, St. John's wort, valerian, kava, and what's that other one, ginkgo biloba, these can interfere with the induction of the seizure. And then another medication can actually make things, you know, too much of the seizure. So theophylline, which is a kind of an old school medication used to treat asthma, can actually put the patient into status epilepticus with the induction of this seizure. So you want to make sure that that medication history has been conducted. And then getting the patient set up for the procedure, you're going to be placing an IV. You want to make sure that you have all your safety equipment at the bedside, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then in a lot of cases, you'll be putting a blood pressure cuff around the patient's right lower leg, right ankle area. And that is because when the muscle relaxant is administered, we want that cuff to be fully inflated so that it prevents flow of the muscle relaxant medication into the foot. And then when we're assessing for seizure activity during the procedure, we can watch the foot movement. This is a great test question, you guys. So um, if it's asking about a blood pressure cuff on the leg, that is why. And it's usually the right foot. So again, prior to the procedure, starting that IV, possibly putting that blood pressure cuff on, having safety equipment at the bedside. We're also making sure that those electrodes are placed either unilaterally or bilaterally, and it will depend on what the goals of the therapy are, and each patch is about the size of a silver dollar. Your safety equipment, you wanna have operational before the procedure begins, supplemental oxygen, so make sure it's working. You want a bag valve mask there as well. And you want suction. And I always tell you guys, when you have suction at the bedside, Make sure it's working and have it set up because when you need suction, you needed it like 15 seconds ago. Okay, so you don't have time to waste to be getting things all set up. Make sure it's functional. You have everything, all the pieces there, they're all connected and the suction works and it's ready to go. Now, if the patient has an implanted defibrillator in place, the detection mode on that defibrillator will be turned off during the procedure. So you want to have an external defibrillator ready at the bedside. And then um, the anesthesiologist at that point is going to induce that anesthetic state. And now we're kind of moving into the during the procedure phase of the ECT. So anesthesia is going to be giving uh, something to make the patient unconscious and then something to relax the muscles. And the goal again is to prevent injury. And then we have that blood pressure cup there so that the muscles there don't get relaxed. And what happens is that foot will then still have movement during the procedure, but you also wanna place that bite block Once that patient is rendered unconscious, getting that bite block in place, either right before or right after, because that muscle relaxant medication is not going to block the contraction of the masseter muscle during electrical stimulation. And this is something new that I learned when I was doing my research for this episode. So that's why the bite block is still needed, even though muscle relaxers are on board. So you've got your safety equipment, you've got your bite block in place. The anesthesiologist has administered the medication to make the patient unconscious and that muscle relaxant. At that point, the anesthesiologist will begin administering 100% FiO2 using that bag valve mask for assisted ventilation throughout the duration of the procedure, which, you know, typically is pretty short. The psychiatrist will trigger that brief electrical impulse, which should induce that generalized seizure, which can be observed either through EEG tracings, maybe the patient also has EEG electrodes on. EMG, or movement in that right foot, which we talked about earlier. The seizure duration is typically less than one minute, and then the patients are taken to the recovery room where they wake up from the anesthetic and are monitored for complications. Now, of course, the anesthesiologist will perform assisted ventilation until the patient's respiratory effort returns on its own, and the patient can have spontaneous respirations. Most ECT therapies are conducted in a series, but this will vary based on the severity of the patient's symptoms. But a very typical course of treatment for depression is two to three times per week for a duration of about three to four weeks. And then once that initial series is complete, the patient may need maintenance therapy, which could be once a week, it could be once a month, and will be, again, determined by their symptom Severity. Now, there's a newer therapeutic approach called unilateral ultra brief pulse electroconvulsive therapy, and that's administered more frequently, like sometimes daily, um, but for a shorter duration with each electrical pulsation. So, ongoing studies suggest that this unilateral approach can have even greater efficacy with fewer adverse effects than this bilateral ECT. That is more standard, but we'll talk about the side effects um, a little bit further on. So what are you going to be monitoring for during that therapy? So inducing a seizure does not just affect the patient's brain. It's also going to cause brief increase in intracranial pressure. It's going to cause changes in blood pressure and heart rate and increased oxygen demands as well as increased cardiac workload. Therefore, careful monitoring of vital signs is necessary throughout the entire procedure, especially in patients who have an underlying cardiovascular, um, pulmonary disease, or even um, some kind of neurological injury like a brain-occupying lesion or history of stroke, anything like that. So during the tonic phase of the seizure, there is a brief parasympathetic response that can produce a significant bradycardia, as well as some PVCs and PACs. But think about parasympathetic, putting on the brakes so bradycardia can result. It can be so severe, it causes heart blocks. It can be so severe, it causes a systole. Then during the colonic phase of the seizure, a catecholamine surge causes the opposite effect. It causes the tachycardia and the hypertension. And this tachycardia and hypertension typically resolve basically within about 20 minutes of seizure cessation. However, some patients may be given a short-acting beta blocker, like an IV beta blocker, if the tachycardia and the hypertension could cause detrimental effects. However, it's important to note that if these medications are given, they can shorten seizure duration and therefore decrease the efficacy of the ECT treatment itself. So we monitor the seizure activity again in a few different ways. That least invasive way is in that blood pressure cuff around that right lower leg to prevent the muscle relaxant from entering the foot, allowing us to monitor for noticeable motor activity during the seizure. Similarly, EMG, which I mentioned earlier, electromyography measures electrical activity in the muscle and can also be used to measure motor movement during a seizure. And then EEG, which I also mentioned earlier, that can be used to observe for seizure activity directly from the brain itself. Of interest is the special population of pregnant patients. They will also require fetal monitoring and careful avoidance of hyperventilation, as hyperventilation can decrease placental blood flow, leading to fetal hypoxia. So you want a very skilled anesthesiologist working with your pregnant patients. Okay. So the ECT has happened. We set everything up. We got all of our safety equipment. We monitored the patient during the procedure, and now we are in that recovery phase. So what happens after electroconvulsive therapy? So after that therapy, the patient can expect to have a brief period of confusion and memory loss that could last for several hours. If you've ever taken care of a Patient after a seizure in that post ictal state, same kind of thing, confusion and memory loss. Most patients are able, though, to return to their normal day to day activities a few hours after the procedure, though they shouldn't drive, they shouldn't, you know, go back to work or make important decisions for a period of time determined by their psychiatrist. So, definitely not that day, okay? But they can go home and, you know, hang out with their family and work in the yard or whatever, normal day-to-day activities that don't require decision-making. Because ECT does transiently increase intracranial pressure, we mentioned stroke patients earlier, patients with a history of neurological injury or a space-occupying lesion like a tumor, any AVM, any neurological abnormality, these patients have to be monitored very carefully after the procedure for any deterioration in their neurological status. So you'll be very aware and very careful of that. Additionally, serum glucose can be increased during the electroconvulsive therapy. So you'll want to monitor for hyperglycemia as well. So throughout that recovery period, the patient should be on continuous monitoring for their heart rate, their blood pressure, their SpO2 respiratory rate, and even end tidal CO2 as well. Though it's more likely for a patient to have hypertension, remember they have that catecholamine release, ECT has been shown to cause a decrease in ejection fraction in some patients. So again, you're monitoring their blood pressure at frequent intervals. Most patients will complain of a headache that can last up to 8, up to 24 hours after the procedure. And then as for sustained memory loss, studies indicate that standard ECT may not cause more memory loss than the standard pharmacological treatments that are available. However, it is important to note that the studies do show that that unilateral ultra brief modality that we discussed earlier causes less cognitive impairment than does regular ECT. So this is definitely a therapy to watch as it gains more widespread use. So here is your brief in a nutshell review of electroconvulsive therapy, the most need to know things for your exams. ECT has been shown to be significantly effective in treating severe depression, but can also be used to treat schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and catatonia. The procedure involves the use of anesthesia and a muscle relaxant. A blood pressure cuff on the right leg prevents the muscle relaxant from entering the foot, giving the practitioner an easy way to monitor for seizure activity by observing for motor movement in that right foot. A bite block will be placed for patient safety. Seizures can cause arrhythmias and hypertension. Most patients will complain of memory loss, confusion, and a headache immediately following the procedure. So there you have it. That in a nutshell is your introduction to electroconvulsive therapy. I will see you back here next week, same time, same place. If you subscribe to the podcast, then the episode will automatically show up for you. It's like magic. And if you miss me in the meantime, head on over to Instagram, straight A nurse. I am there sharing tips and other insights with you there. And I'd love to see you. Have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.